All right, you guys can grab a seat. Come on. Well, good morning, church, and welcome to week two of a series that we're calling Surrender. And really, this, this series is based on a word that God gave our staff and, and our team uh, late last year, and we, we took some time to, to pray and ask God, what do you have for us this year? Like, what do you have for, for this church this year? What do you have for us as individuals in this community of faith? What do you want from us this year? And, and as we prayed and sought God, it, it became apparent through words and through uh, verses and, and through images that God gave us that what he is calling us as a church, as individuals in this church, is to surrender which means to lay down our desires, to lay down our rights, to lay down our wants, to lay down our goals, to lay down our ambitions, to lay down our time, to lay down our resources, to lay all those things down at the feet of Jesus and say, God, wherever you lead, I will go. And really this, this series, one of the core foundational verses of this series, it, it comes in Matthew 16, and it, it's perhaps one of the most crazy, terrifying verses that I've read from Jesus. And, and it comes after this period where Jesus explains to his disciples, he's like, hey guys, guess what? We're going to Jerusalem, and I know you're excited about it, but I'm going to get arrested, beaten, flogged, and then killed by the religious elite, and don't worry, it's, it's good. And, and then Peter, being Peter, is like, Jesus, come on, come on. Don't you see how awesome you are? You calmed the waves of the sea. You healed blind people. You raised people from the dead. Jesus, you, you don't know what you're talking about. And, and Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan, which I just think is the best comeback ever. Um, but it comes after this, it says, verse 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You know, being a Christian, believing in Jesus, it's not a religious activity. It's not about coming to church every week. The meaning of Christian is Christ follower. Because Jesus doesn't want to just be the add-on to our life. He doesn't want to be the, the fries and pop to our burger combo at McDonald's. Like, he, he wants to have us all. He wants us to surrender to him. And he says, if any want to become my followers, if any want to be Christ followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life, or what will they give in return for their life? To so deny themselves, that means lay aside your own desires. Lay aside your own plans. Lay aside your own ambitions. Give it all to God. Lay aside what you want out of your life and give it to God. Not because he's going to put you into a job that you're going to hate for the next 30 years and just make you be miserable forever. No, God knows what he put in you. 
and he knows what he's called you to do, and he knows what is going to bring you passion and life in, y- in your life, and so he wants to bring that. He says, deny yourself. Lay those things aside. Take up your cross, which means be willing to suffer. Be willing to endure ridicule, mocking, and even death for my sake. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Which very simply is, if Jesus goes there, I'm going there. Jesus goes over there, I'm going over there. I'm following him wherever he leads. He says, what, uh, for what, uh, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? What will it profit you if you have all the money, all the pleasure, and all the power in the world at the cost of your soul? What will it profit you if you have everything you think you want, but God's not blessing it? So what will they give in return for their life? See, the idea of surrender is about laying ourselves down, putting our wants and our desires to the side and saying, God, use me. Use me, God. I am yours. So this morning, as, as we start to dig deeper in what it means to, to surrender, I, I want to take some time to discuss perhaps the, one of the most simple but important postures that we need to take when we surrender to God. One of the most simple but important things that we need to do before God if we are to be surrendered to Him something that requires us to take a step back from who we think we are, to stop looking at ourselves as better than we are, and to start positioning ourselves, posturing ourselves before God as if he's our king. I want to talk to you about the idea of becoming like a child. Now, in Matthew 18... um, we find this interesting passage where it starts with a heated debate and ends with Jesus really just putting his disciples in their place. Uh, And it starts, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And the verse doesn't specify what's going on in their heads, and it doesn't specify what was happening beforehand, but I always picture that what when the disciples came to Jesus, it was not a, oh, I just, this question popped into my head. Jesus, what do you think? It was probably more of a, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, guys, really, it, it's, it's me. I'm the greatest. And everyone just posturing themselves. And I just imagine like an argument between two toddlers. You're like, it's my toy. No, it's my toy. Mom! And they just come running to Jesus. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And And Jesus, he called a child whom he put among them. I have so many questions about that. Because the word child there in the Greek indicates a toddler, like we're talking two or three years old, likely. I'm like, where did this child come from? (laughs) And what is wrong with his parents? It's just random 
I, I, I always picture as Jesus and his disciples walking down the road, Jesus, who is the greatest? Hey, kid, you, yeah, you, come over here. It's like it's just showing this group of random men walking down the road. I don't know. Anyways, I digress. It doesn't tell us, but put the child among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a little severe because Jesus is not saying you won't be great in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like this child. For whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty severe. You will not enter unless you become like this child. And I can imagine the disciples are like, whoa, Jesus. What is going on here? What do you mean we must become like this child? And I do want to be clear here, though. When we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we are not talking about salvation. Because, you know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall be saved. Jesus is our Savior on the basis of belief. So here we're not talking about salvation, we're talking about who is Lord of your life. See, the kingdom of heaven, a very simple definition for the kingdom of heaven, is the kingdom of heaven is everything that is in submission to God as king. Now we know from the Bible that God is king over everything, but we also know that not everything is in submission to him. And we live in this period of, of where the kingdom of God is now, but it's also not yet. It was instituted by Jesus. It's like yeast put into a batch of dough that spreads and grows until it fills the whole dough. But it's now, it is both here and present, but it is not yet because we have not yet achieved the perfection that God talks about in Revelation, where heaven will come to earth and earth will be brought into perfection and there will be no more mourning and there will be no more death. We have not gotten to that place yet. So the kingdom of God is everywhere that God is king. And this is key because God, Jesus can be your savior, but is he your Lord? You can be saved from the consequences of your sin without truly belonging to the kingdom of heaven. And the question becomes, who is Lord of your life. You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child. You know, now, you know, that, that phrase is, it's easier said than done. And I think a lot of that is because when we look at this verse, we're like, what does it mean to be like a child before God? You know, I have very few memories of when I was a toddler. Um, most of my memories come from my mom who told me that it's by the grace of God that she didn't kill me as a toddler. Um, very few memories of being a toddler, but the few memories I do have are, are relatively good. It's memories of playing with toys, being carefree, having fun with my brother, of, uh, memories of a time when my biggest concerns were, I want to eat cookies. Not broccoli, mom. 
I want to play with my toys, not clean them up. Like, I wish I could get back to that stage and not have to worry about taxes and income and family and taking care of my wife and my dog who's constantly sick and the church. Like, I just wish that, like, that would be great to be that carefree again. But, but really, as a toddler, we know, like, if you have good parents, you, a toddler can be assured that they don't need to worry about those other things because their parents will provide for them. Now, I know that not everyone has that experience, and I know that some people in this room have suffered abuse and trauma at the hands of their parents, and honestly, that's tragic. That's not God's design. That is not God's will for any of our lives, because the design God had for families was that parents would nurture their children, that they would provide for them, they would protect them, they would teach them, and in turn, the children could rely on them. And so when Jesus says, become like children, he's talking about becoming like a toddler. Well, God is the father, and you are like a child before him. But you know, I was curious as I was studying this verse, I was curious how children were viewed in the ancient world. Like when Jesus said, become like a child, what would the disciples have understood? And, and so I did a bunch of research into it, and it, it was fascinating because in the ancient like Jewish world from the time of Jesus, children, while they were loved by their parents, they were considered useless. It's, if you don't like that, I'll take it up with ancient Jewish society. Um, but children, they were loved by their parents, their parents valued them, but they were considered useless in the eyes of society. Because your worth was determined by what you could do. A two-year-old can't farm. They can't fish. They aren't super intelligent or wise. And they don't wield lots of power and influence. So useless. And so a child in that culture, they, they were not high status. They were not important. And really, simply, they could not do anything on their own without the help of their parents. So when Jesus says, become like a child, I can imagine the disciples being like, Jesus, we're asking who can be greatest, not who can be useless in the kingdom of God. And he's like, no, 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 become like a child. And they're like, become useless like a child? He's like, yeah. Yeah. Become like a child, which means blindly trust. Blindly trust that God will provide for you and protect you and, and take care of you. It means remain humble around this passage, not in Matthew, but it, it, when it's retold in Luke. We have the stories of, of Pharisees coming to Jesus angry and they're self-righteous. And he's like, remain humble. Not like the Pharisees who think they're better than others because of the things they do. And not like the rich young ruler who, who thought, I have all this money and power and this is all that matters. He's like, remain humble. Be content with who you are. And remain open. A child remains open, listening to God and obeying God no matter what. We are to become like children, fully reliant on God, fully reliant, like, 
I can't provide for myself, he will. I can't protect myself, he will. I don't need to pursue uh, fame or fortune on my own because he will provide for me. And just obedient, following him and seeking him first. See, to surrender, I I looked up the definition of surrender in in the dictionary, and, and it said that to surrender means to cease resistance to an enemy or opponent and to submit to their authority. To cease resistance. Basically, stop being like a bratty kid whose parents have to drag them around kicking and screaming. Cease resistance. When God tells you to go do something, stop arguing with him. When God says, go pray for that person, stop saying, well, God, it's too awkward. I can't do that. When God says to give that money, he's, uh, don't stop saying, oh, God, oh, that's too much. What am I going to do? Cease resistance and submit to their authority. That when God says go, we go. When God says stay, we stay. That wherever Jesus leads, we, we go because he ultimately is the leader of our life. In Ephesians 1, um, we really see a, a beautiful passage that begins to expand on what it means to to be a child in God's presence. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, um, or longer passages in the Bible. And, and, and Paul is writing this, and he's giving this beautiful picture of who God is, who we are, and how God sees us. And he starts and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I want to pause there because we're not going to spend much time on this, but I love this verse. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now, I was curious, when we translate that word every, I was curious, what's the Greek word and is that the right translation? And and so I looked it up and um, went went into concordance and looked it up because I don't know Greek. I'm not that big of a nerd. Um, I don't understand Greek. It, I took one class in Bible college. I w- did not do well in it. Um, <laughs> so I looked it up. I'm like, every, what's the word? Okay, and it was, I found this Greek word, and it's crazy what it means. It literally translates as every, lacking nothing. So when this, prom- when this verse says he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, that means there is not a single spiritual blessing that he has left out. Every spiritual blessing he can give us, he has given us. And it goes on, it says, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. This is amazing. Before the world was created, Before the universe was even in existence, God was like, I choose you. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't like you came to God and he's like, okay, I guess, fine. No, God was like, before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, before the world was even created, God was like, Darian, I choose you. Spencer, I choose you. Melody, I choose you. Kimberly, I choose you you. We were chosen. And he goes on, verse 5. He says, he destined us for adoption 
as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. We are not only chosen, but we have been adopted. God chose us before the foundation of the world. It was intentional. It was not accidental. He knew what he was doing, and he chose us so that we might be adopted into his royal family. And then verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. And this passage, it really simply, it just tells us, you are forgiven. Whatever you've done, whatever horrible things you might have thought or said or done in your life, it's been forgiven. It's been washed by the blood of Jesus. It is gone. You have been forgiven. It says, with all wisdom, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasures that he set forth in Christ Jesus as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. You were chosen, you were adopted, and God didn't just adopt you and choose you for no reason. He chose us for a destiny. He chose us to do something for him, and he didn't just hide that plan. He's like, no, 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 here's my plan, guys. I want everything to come into my kingdom. I want to take everything that's broken, and I want to restore it. I want to gather all things to myself. And verse 11 goes on. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope in Christ might live for the praise of his glory. You were chosen, you were adopted, you have a destiny and an inheritance. In verse 13 in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards the redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Now we'll dig into this particular part of the verse in a couple weeks, but what this tells us is that God didn't just say all these things, like, oh, you've been chosen and adopted and have a destiny and inheritance. Yay, that's good, cool, now go do your thing. No, he's like, I'm going to prove it to you by putting my Holy Spirit in you. That when you believe, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and he will guide you and he will lead you and he will speak to you and he will help you and he acts as a seal which means that he is the first fruit. He is the first installment of the coming inheritance. That because we have the Spirit, we know God's going to fulfill his second part. And you know, I love this passage. We could spend hours on each and every verse. I love this passage so much. But really what Ephesians 1 tells us is that we have been chosen. We have been adopted and because we have been adopted, we have been redeemed, we have a destiny, and we have an inheritance. We are to be childlike before God, become like a child, because we are part of God's royal family. 
But you know, all of that is good and well as, as long as we really understand what it means to be adopted. Like, what does that term actually mean? So again, I, I went and I, I did a bunch of study and I was looking at, in the context to which this was written, this was written, the, or the Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. It was a Greek city that was part of the Roman Empire. So in this city, what would the understanding of adoption be? And what I found was that in Roman culture, adoption essentially meant to be taken from the family of your birth and to be brought into a new family. And I mean, that's really what the definition is now, but it goes even deeper. It means that everything you once were is now gone and dead and cannot be considered, and you are now a full-fledged member of the family that adopted you. And so in in Roman culture, uh, a child, like they held little to no value. Similar to Jewish culture, little to no value, no power, no influence. But the little power and influence they held was determined by who their parents were. So if your parents were poor, you had no value in in the eyes of society. Not that that's true in the eyes of God, but in in their society, that was how they viewed you. But if you were a child of the emperor, ooh, people would treat you with the same respect they would treat the emperor. Because if they didn't, well, there's a reason there's a Colosseum in Rome. Um, and so to be adopted meant to be taken from wherever you were and brought fully into the new family. And what's cool in the Roman view was, let's say that the emperor and his wife, they had a kid, they had a biological son, and then they're like, hey, I want to adopt you. And so... In our view, sometimes we think of biological as greater than adopted. In their view, no. If you were adopted into the emperor's family, it didn't matter how many biological kids he had. You were equal to them. And what it also meant is that it didn't matter what your past was. Once you were adopted into the emperor's family, that was gone. You were now the emperor's child. So you could have been a, a sewer rat, not known your parents, You could have been mistreated and people could have looked down on you your whole life. But the second the emperor adopted you, none of that mattered. And if anyone treated you the way they used to treat you, they would answer to him. So we've been adopted. We have been adopted into God's family. You see, God is the king of the universe. God is the king of everything. God is the king. He wants to be king of our heart. But the point of that kingship is not like old monarchies where he just wants to use us and abuse us and move on. The point of that kingship is he wants to be your father. So we have been adopted into God's family. That means that the old life we used to live is dead and buried. You used to live in slavery to sin, slavery to the world, slavery to your flesh. That is all dead and buried. You are a new creation, and you are a child of the king. With all the privileges that comes with. And as a child of the king, 
That means that the king will guide you. He'll lead you. He'll teach you. He'll discipline you, which we don't like, but you know, it's part of having a parent. And he'll help you grow into the best person you can be. The child of the king, he'll provide for you. He will protect you. He'll take care of you. As a child of the king, you have access to him. You don't have to try and earn his favor. No, you are his child. So you want to go see him? He's there. He's just waiting. And as a child of the king, as an adopted member of God's family, he's also storing up wealth for you. He's storing up an inheritance for you. He wants to give you good gifts. But really the question God, if you, if you believe in Jesus, Jesus is the Savior of your life. But the question is, is Jesus the Lord of your life? God is calling us to become like children before him. To trust him that he'll provide for us and protect us. To trust him that he'll take care of us and preserve us. He's asking us to be content with who we are and that he will take care of any elevation that needs to happen. That you might be in a season where you've been demoted and you've lost, uh, lost what you used to have. And, and God's like, I'm just testing you in this season to see what I've put in you. He's asking us to be content with who we are and to be obedient to him. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus is your savior. But the question is, is Jesus your king? When Jesus says, go and do this, do you go and do it? When Jesus says, stay here, I have something for you here, do you stay? When Jesus says, pray for that person, do you go and pray for that person? When Jesus says, get up and and say this, even though it's stressful or, or scary, do you get up and say it? Are you obedient to him? And the beauty of being adopted as a child of God this last part of adoption in that society was, was that when you were adopted, like you got all the power and influence that your parents had, but you were also supposed to represent to the world how your parent treated you. So as adopted children of God, God is calling us to be obedient to him and to represent him to others. But the question is, is Jesus king of your life? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Or are you Lord of your life? Is Jesus your savior and Lord? Or is Jesus just your savior and you have another Lord? Who is king of your life? I heard an evangelist, a guy named Todd White, he put it this way once. He says, God's not asking for much. He's asking for you to give up something you were never created to be so you can become who you truly are. Part of surrender is this idea of giving up something we were never created to be. Giving up our own desires and wants and passions and and pursuits. Giving them to God so that we can become who we truly are. 
God created you for a reason. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to save you from the consequences of your sin, and all it takes to be saved is belief. But he also wants to bring you into something that is greater than you could ever imagine. But are you willing to surrender to him? Are you willing to become like a child, fully dependent on him, blindly trusting him, and pursuing him no matter what? as a child of God, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid because guess what? Your daddy is bigger than anyone else. You don't have to worry about where finances or provision or food or any of that is coming from because God's going to provide. He might tell you, quit your job, go move that to that place, and you'd be like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Well, if you're obedient, he's going to provide. to trust Him? Are you willing to give up control of your life and like a child to trust Him? Now, a couple weeks ago, um, I got approached about an opportunity to, to do something that I, I thought would be really, really cool and and, and I, I thought it was a great opportunity and I really wanted to say yes, but um, I spent some time praying about it and processing and, and trying to figure out what, what, what is God's will for, for me. And a couple weeks ago, um, my wife came to me and, and she was really stressed and anxious about this opportunity. And, and, and what it came down to was I'd asked her to pray and to tell me what she'd heard, but I hadn't actually properly followed up. Being a husband, learning how to be a, a good husband. It, it, it can be difficult at times. Um, but she, she came to me and she's like, I feel like you're not valuing my opinion because you didn't really ask for it. And so I looked at her. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because I love you and your, your opinion is more valuable to me than anyone else's. So what I said to her was, you have a veto right. You have a veto right, which is a term from UN Security Council where one of the members at any point can say, no, and their word, that's final. So I said to her, you have a veto right. If you say no, I'm not doing it. Does God have a veto right over your heart? God says no, do you listen? If God says go, do you listen? When money is tight and things are stressful and you're uncertain, do you turn to worry or do you trust in God? Is God king of your heart? God's just calling us to surrender to Him, to become like children, so that He can help us become who we really are. But that starts by taking a posture of surrender, of saying, God, I give you control of my life.
whatever you say, I will obey, no matter what. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you're not a father who seeks to just use us as your children, but you are a father who loves us so much and you just want what's best for us. God, I thank you that you know what's best for us, even when we don't. So God, I, I just pray, help us to become like children before you. Help us to trust you. Help us to remain humble before you. Help us to, to remain open to your guidance and your direction and to, have, to be obedient to you, God. As we go forward in 2023, help us to be fully surrendered to you as your children with all the privileges and rights that come with us, God. Help us to give ourselves to you that we might become the people you created us to be, laying aside all else in pursuit of what you are calling us to. God, I just pray that you will speak to each and every one of us so clearly. Help us learn to listen and hear your voice and help us to obey no matter what. Pray this in your holy name.